The scripture reading for today is found in Matthew chapter 9, verse 27 to 34. It reads as follows. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered their house, the blind man came to him, and Jesus said to him, do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about this. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-possessed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon was sent cast, and when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowd marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the prince of demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. Lord Jesus, we pause to rejoice over your word. We ask for you to touch us. Lord, as you touch those two men, would you touch us in this room? As you opened eyes, would you open our eyes to see the wonder of your word, the wonder of who you are, Lord Jesus, to marvel at you like these crowds marveled at you. And would you keep us from missing your glory? Would you keep us from failing to see how wonderful you are? And Lord, we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit in order to see what we can't see. Would you be merciful to all of us? Would you do what you can do, you and you alone? And Lord, we would ask you, please, keep the enemy from distracting us. Keep the enemy from keeping us from seeing your glory. Let us not be blinded in our minds, but let us love you in our minds. And so, Lord, we ask, uh, keep the work of the one who hates our soul and would oppose you at every turn from having any ground in this time that we have together. And we would pray that your word would strengthen us to do exactly what you would want us to do, to live out your will. So I pray that the hope of the gospel would be clear, or that we would see your authority, your power, and your grace and mercy and love. And let us see you as marvelous. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we are continuing our journey through Matthew, and this morning the portion of Scripture is primarily about seeing and not seeing. It is about two men who are blinded, but yet who actually do see who Jesus is and his true identity. They call him the son of David. We will consider what that might mean. The Pharisees see the same Jesus, and they say he's the son of Satan, essentially. What in the world is going on? Why do the common folks of the crowd see Jesus as marvelous, and yet the leaders, the Pharisees, see Jesus as malignant, you might say? 
And here we have two different versions of a response to Christ, and yet they see the same person doing the same things, and one wonders, how did they miss their identity? How did, they, how did the glory of Christ fail to be seen? So we're going to think about this together. So verses 27 to 31 really are, there's two miracles here. There's the miracles of eyes being opened, and then there's the miracle of uh, mute speaking. Um, Both of these, first time in Matthew, first time we see these miracles in Matthew. We've seen many other miracles shown to us, and yet these are the first time we've seen anything like this. And that's in, in fact what the crowd says. Never have we seen anything like this. And so the Lord was doing something that was amazing in their sight. And so let's take each of them. We'll look at both of them. The first miracle is the the opening of the eyes. This is the ninth miracle, by the way. I went back and counted how many miracles Matthew has presented. You remember, I I suggested Matthew's building Jesus' messianic uh, resume. He's proving, giving evidence for those of us who are trying to figure out who Jesus is. He's giving us evidence to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so two more pieces of evidence offered today. Um, the, the, The healing of blind men is what we'll first look at. So verse 27... And Jesus passed on from there, as he did. Two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. Now we're in Capernaum. We have, we've just followed, uh, last week we took a look at, at the incredible thing that Jesus did by raising from the dead uh, a little girl who had died. Uh, so they're in the town of Capernaum. Uh, this was Jairus' daughter. Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue in Capernaum. And his daughter had died. He, he went, he pleaded with Jesus to come. Jesus came to the house, touched his little daughter, and raised her from the dead. And so as Jesus is passing on from there, so we're still on the north western shore of the Sea of Galilee. If, if you're wondering where are we in the world, that's where we are. And the news of this raising from the dead has spread throughout the whole region. So the word is being passed around and people are beginning to come to Jesus and the wonder of Jesus' miracles are intensifying. The, the magnitude of what Jesus is doing is, is intensifying and growing. And you might think, what could be more incredible than raising someone from the dead? Matthew is going to show you, particularly the reason he's doing this, um, is because of the exposing of, of who the Messiah is in the Old Testament. We'll look at a couple of passages that point us to that understanding. But So as Jesus is moving on, two blind men followed him, and they have they probably heard, they've heard the news about what Jesus has done, uh, raising from the dead, all of the other things. Remember the woman who had the issue of blood? She also had heard what Jesus has, has done and how people had been healed and restored. And so she too had, had come to them. These men also heard, and as we saw, crowds of people are following Jesus as he moves from place to place, uh, almost to the point that he never has a quiet minute. Uh, I kind of wonder, what would life have been like with Jesus? We think we're busy. Imagine if you were someone who had the ability to usher in the kingdom of God in such a way that that people were healed always in your presence. What an incredible sense of of people gathering and coming in that would be. And that's the feel of what we have here. And so these blind men are following Jesus and we are told they are crying out loud. Crying aloud. Um, And it's interesting because this word 
I hear my mom's voice for crying out loud, Todd. I, sorry, that just flashed into my mind as I was saying that. But this word is a very interesting word. It means to shout, uh, to cry out with an unpleasant sound. And the root of this word comes from the raucous croaking of ravens. It actually carries the notion of a, a demand. So you think of ravens squawking, right? Ah! hear that. That's where this word comes from. So these men, this helps give you a picture of what's happening because they're in the crowd and they're screaming out. They're crying out. They can't see where to go, but they're crying out, Jesus, Son of David, heal us. Have mercy on us. Son of David. In a very annoying way. They are shouting out persistently and you'll see they followed Jesus. They were following him through the crowd. And it would be easy for blind men to follow a crowd. There's enough noise that's attendant at the movement of crowds that they're able to follow. But what's striking is, notice what they say. They say, what do they say? Have mercy on us. It's very curious. They are not saying, heal our blindness. Son of David, fix our blindness. They are saying, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us, son of David. So what is the have mercy? Have mercy on us. Uh, you know what mercy is. Mercy is when someone withholds from you some harm or punishment that you rightly deserve. And I have an excellent example of mercy for you. This comes from my son. Uh, I'll leave then which son unnamed, but I have permission to share this. Mercy is when you are rushing to a Thursday night Bible study and you're in a 45 mile an hour zone doing 55 or 60. And there's a cop behind you and he pulls you over and says to you, what are you thinking? You're speeding. I had to rush to catch up to you. And the son says, but, but don't, don't say anything. And so he doesn't say anything. And so give me your license and your registration. He goes back to the car. And, and so what's, uh, what's 60 and 45? That's kind of expensive. I don't know what the total would be on a ticket uh, in uh, doing 60 miles an hour in a 45 mile an hour zone. Yet the policeman comes back and for some inexplicable reason says to my son, I I'm just going to give you a warning this time. I I you're... I He's withholding punishment that was justly due to my speeding son. That's mercy. He entered, maybe he saw the misery and anguish on his face. No doubt. You've ever been pulled over, your heart rate goes up, and you freak out. It's a terrible feeling. I don't know what that feeling is like at all. And yet, <laughs> here we have mercy. This, this policeman showed mercy. He withheld something he could have justly given as punishment, and yet this policeman entered into the miserable little situation of my son and was merciful. These men are saying, be merciful to us, son of David. Have compassion on us. Enter into our suffering and be merciful to us because... Sometimes in Scripture, many occasions, blindness is seen as a form of the judgment of God. I don't know if you remember this or not, but when the perverse men of Sodom wanted to rape the, the angels, they, they were men, they thought they were men, they wanted to rape them, and they were actually angels come to deliver Lot. Do you remember God struck them with what? 
Blindness. They were, they were punished with blindness. When Moses warned the children of Israel not to turn away from faithful obedience to the Lord, in Deuteronomy 28, he said, if you do, you know what will come. God will strike you with blindness. He threatens them with blindness. When the disciples come across a man who had been born blind, do you remember what they said? Who sinned? This guy's parents, right? There was a sense in which blindness was a punishment. And Paul, if you remember, Paul confronted a magician who called Elymas, who was trying to prevent the gospel from being heard. And Paul said to him, you are going to have a mist across your eyes for a season until you stop preventing the gospel from being heard. And this man was blind. Now we know not all instances of blindness is an act of judgment. Because Jesus says to the young man who had been born blind, uh, he's not born blind because of any sin, but so that the glory of God would be manifested through him. So not every instance is, but their mindset would have thought this blindness is some sort of judgment on God. And they're crying out for mercy. What are they confessing? We don't deserve to have what we're asking for. We don't have a right to be free from this blindness, but be merciful to us. They weren't demanding their rights. They were, they were asking for mercy. They were asking for Jesus to be merciful to them. And I wonder, we've seen mercy pop up in this gospel, haven't we? When Jesus was having dinner with these tax collectors and the sinners, and they were criticizing him for fellowshipping with all of these reprobates, and what did Jesus say? Go figure out what this means. I desire what? Mercy. Not sacrifice. I wonder if that spread. I wonder if that aspect of this, this man, this incredible man, power to heal, and yet he says, I want mercy. Go figure out, Pharisees, what this means. Be merciful. That's what Jesus came to bring. I think these men heard about that, that dinner I think the word got out of what happened. And they come to him crying out for mercy. And they say, Son of David. Son of David. What does that title mean? First time we've seen that in this gospel. First time Jesus is referred to as the Son of David here. And it is a title that indicates that these men, these blind men, saw in Jesus something nobody else had seen. They were able, with their absence of physical sight, they were able to perceive something about Jesus that no one else had yet done. And it's grounded in this mercy. And what is it? That title, Son of David, points to the Messiah. A merciful Messiah. And where do we see this? We see this in the Old, Old Testament. Because God alone, first of all, is the only one who can grant sight to blind people. The Bible teaches us in several places, Exodus 4, 11, the first one, God says to Moses, when Moses is complaining about not being able to speak, you remember this? And, and God said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? God has the power over, over both sight and sound. He is sovereign over our seeing as well as speaking. And the psalmist affirms this in Psalm 146, 8. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. So only God has the power and authority to open blind eyes and, and deliver um, these men. And yet they come to Jesus asking Him for uh, mercy. 
And so they do. And we see this, this gets carried into the theme of the Messiah who will come one day and reverse the curse. Um, in summary, the son of David has its root in the promise of God to David. Effectively, in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 to 16, I'll just summarize. God promised David that a son would be born to him, and, and you know these verses, right? Upon whose shoulder the government would rest, and, and his increase of his government would have, there would be no end. This is Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. We, we quote these verses every Christmas. Right? His throne, he would sit on the throne of his father David, and he would reign such that justice uh, would, would be established from this time forth and forevermore. Remember those verses in Isaiah 9. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. This is pointing to the Messiah of what would happen when he comes. And furthermore, Isaiah magnifies this notion of the Messiah and what he does by making it clear in Isaiah 28, 18 that a new day would come when, when the Messiah would, in that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind will see. So here's Isaiah prophesying, speaking in advance about the day when the Messiah would come and usher in a new kind of kingdom. A new day would come. And furthermore, Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. Speaking about the Messiah again, he says, The eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. So here's, here's God saying, There will come a day when one who I will anoint will come and, and work miracles and deliver uh, blind people in order to let them see. And Isaiah 42, 6 and 7. I give to you as a covenant to the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind. Speaking about the Messiah. He, God is saying, I'm going to give you a gift. It's going to be a person who will, will come as Messiah, who will open the eyes of the blind. So all of Israel knew this. All of Israel had this in their background. We don't. We don't, we don't spend a lot of time in the Old Testament, but I, I commend it to you. I'm presently reading through the, the book of Isaiah. And with Israel in war... All of that is, is wrapped up in Isaiah. It's incredible to read Isaiah today at this season of life. And yet we see the people understood all of these prophecies God gave in advance so that we would be able to identify and understand exactly who the Messiah is. That's why these miracles are in Matthew's mind so important because they point to specific messianic prophecies. That's how we can know Jesus is the one. Nobody else did this stuff. Nobody else opened the eyes of the blind. No one. No one did what Jesus did. And so it helps us to have confidence that he really is the Messiah. So these men, they may have been physically blind, but they could see something about who Jesus was by watching what he did and paying attention to his ministry. So now we move from outside where these men are squawking at Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on us, persistently following him. Notice how persistent they are in verses 28 to 30. They follow him inside the house. Right? When, when Jesus had entered the house, and again, the house, I'll come back to that in a minute, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. And then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about this. And when 
that he entered the house. Jesus has now, uh, he's entered the house. It looks like maybe he's done for the day. He's, he's trying to get some rest. He's entered the house. The house, the first time we saw that phrase actually referred, back at the beginning of, of Matthew 9, it referred to Matthew's house. Remember, Jesus had come to his house for dinner. It could be that's where Jesus is staying. And so we're now inside Matthew's house. And all of a sudden, these two men come inside. Notice their persistence. They entered the house. They were so desperate to be in the presence of Jesus, to have their need met, that they would not leave him alone. Nothing was going to keep them from him. They moved inside. And, and you'll notice, we've seen this, Matthew condenses this account. He doesn't tell us what conversation transpired between them. He just says, Jesus said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? We would have been told what this is. We know what it is. It's a request for the blindness to be healed, but Matthew doesn't tell us because he's zeroing in on the authority of Jesus. Remember, that's what we have seen from the closing of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew's presenting to us incredible evidence to be solidly convinced, to remove all doubt that Jesus is the Messiah. And so he says, do you believe that I am able to do this? When you're studying the Bible, you should ask questions of the text. Because when I get to this, I'm like, what kind of question is that? Does, I mean, They've been following him forever. They've been crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Following him from place to place, where all these, wherever the crowd was, they've been following him. And Jesus says, do you believe I can do this? And I, I want to say, well, of course they believe you. Well, I mean, wouldn't they, would they have gone home? I mean, they would have given up a long time ago if they didn't believe what was happening, that Jesus could do it. Question, why does Jesus do this? It's not because he's ignorant and doesn't know the answer, is it? It's, it's not as though he knows the hearts of all people. Every time he's in a conversation, the Holy Spirit gives him complete right insight into what's going on inwardly. But it is that Jesus loves a confession of faith. He admires and elicits a verbal profession of faith. He does this again and again. He said, what, what do you, what, sometimes, what do you want me to do for you? He'll ask when somebody's, you know, lame. It's like, hey, you know what you want, Jesus. And yet, if you remember what Paul wrote in Romans, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Right? Jesus yearns for a public profession of faith in him, of a vocal trust. So sometimes it would be helpful for your prayer life if you actually spoke out loud. There's something about speaking words that are heard from the watching world. You can pray alone by yourself, but speaking out, yes, Lord, we sang it. Yes, Lord, yes, I, I believe in you. Help me here. Would you bring relief? Would you take care of this situation at work? Would you take care of this great need? I had someone that, that happened the other day. We, we prayed on Thursday night, and I got a phone call on Friday. The Lord answered that prayer. That's a, a sweet reminder of, of praying out loud and hearing the Lord answer the prayer. And these men give a verbal confession, don't they? Yes, Lord. We, yes, we believe. They were saying, 
Although in so many words, right? We believe you have the power and authority to open our eyes. That's never before happened in the history of Israel. And yet, for some reason, these men have the faith to believe that something impossible could happen in the presence of Jesus, the Son of David, the Messiah, the one who is ushering in a new era. I have a question for you. Do you believe that the Lord can still do miracles? Do you believe that the Lord can change lives and transform Lost, separated, blind people into people who see and have faith. Do you believe that he has that kind of power and authority? And what we see is they say, yes, Lord. And Jesus does something very kind. I want you to put yourself in, in the situation of these men. I want you to close your eyes, everybody. Close your eyes for a second. If you just heard Jesus say, do you believe I can do this? And you say, yes, Lord. And then he touches you. Imagine what that would be like. And you could reach out, touch your own head. You feel a touch. Okay, you can open up your eyes now because you'll go to sleep. They, Jesus touched them. He didn't have to. He did not have to touch them, did he? He could have said, eyes be open. And their eyes would have been opened. But Jesus touches people. Right? He, he touched Peter's mother-in-law and raised her up. He, he reached out and touched a leper. Nobody touches a leper. And he raised him up. And yet Jesus reaches out and touches people. I prayed at the beginning of this service, if you, would you touch us, Lord, by your Spirit? Would you touch your people? I don't know what your ailment is or that which prohibits your faith or what causes you doubt. But I would pray that the Lord would touch your situation because he's risen. Jesus is still alive to this very day. We're not making this up. He can touch you and change your life. And then he says, sweet words, um, according to your faith, be it done to you. Now, some people take this and say, Aha! It's the degree of faith that leads to healing. So if you don't experience massive healing, it's because you don't have massive faith. You just have little faith. And so Jesus always wants to heal. You can hear people say, God always is His will always to heal. The reason you're not healed is because you have a problem. It's your faith that is weak. And we can see that's not true in Scripture, is it? We can think easily of the Apostle Paul. Did the Apostle Paul have faith? Good grief, that man had faith. And yet, what do we see? He, was, he struggled with an affliction, a thorn in the flesh. He had a physical disability of some sort that we don't know. And he prayed, God, will you take this away? Jesus, remove this. Take it away. Three times he prayed earnestly to the Lord. And what was the answer? No. I'm not going to remove it. 
it was not his will to remove that physical disability from Paul. So it's not always the reason you're not healed is because of your faith. Sometimes it is the will of God for us to endure physical difficulties. But he always supplies the necessary measure of grace and mercy in order to allow us to endure if we are looking to him. And so the son of David, yes, he can supply what is needed to get us through the situation in which we're in. So I think this according to does not mean the degree of, but the presence of faith. According to your faith, you believe in me, I will exercise my power and authority on your behalf. And verse 30, he touched them and their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened. Could you imagine for just a moment what that would have been like if you had been in the dark for a long time and suddenly you're able to see the light? I mean, there were many of you here yesterday looking at the gorgeous colors of the leaves and the fall festival and people were throwing cotton candy and little kids all over the place. It was wonderful. And, and the beauty of the day and these men finally were able to see the glory of God's creation. What a, a happy occasion it must have been. And then Jesus says something strange. Look at the last part of verse 30. Uh, see that no one knows this. Now we're in the house, remember? We're, we're inside. And Jesus says, don't tell anybody this. See that no one knows this. And this is sometimes very confusing for us. But typically what has happened is in cases of where opposition is growing against Jesus, primarily in Jewish regions, and the intensification of persecution against him is rising, he wants to minimize the hatred with which the officials are after him so that they don't try to circumvent God's plan for him to die at a particular time. And so he diminishes the news. He says, keep it quiet. Now in Gentile regions, he does the exact opposite. Remember the, the Gadarene demonic who, who Jesus healed, and what did he say to him? Go home and tell everybody. <laughs> go tell your family, go tell everybody what happened. So I think that's what's happening here. But of course, they can't be quiet. Could you? I, I, they go, and it's hardly impossible if you see a man who you know to have been blind all your life, and you see him walking down the street without his cane. <laughs> what happened to you? Well, let me tell you. I met this guy called Jesus. So, they spread the news throughout the whole region. And then, uh, verse 31, they went away and spread this news throughout the whole district. So now we're out of the house. These men have left the house. But notice this incredible, breathtaking succession of events which follows. Look at verse 32. As they were going away, meaning the two formerly blind men who are now sighted, as they're going away, behold, a demon-possessed man was brought, uh, who was mute, was brought to him. Jesus, he didn't even have supper yet. And somebody else now comes with a demon-possessed man. Now notice, somebody's bringing him. He, he's not following on his own accord. He needs help to get to Jesus. These two blind men, they were motivated and seeking Jesus. This guy can't speak, and he has someone else helping him to Jesus. We're going to find people in both of those situations. Some of you in this room, there are days you are motivated to seek the Lord, and you're, you're on a mission. There are other days, and there are others of you in this room, who you need a little help. I need a little encouragement. Be, be gentle and loving in those days. Could you imagine carrying this poor guy to come and meet Jesus? And they bring him to Jesus. And, and what we see when... Um, and Matthew's incredibly brief. 
And by the way, we see behold again, right? We've seen this word so many times. Behold, wake up, look, something to see here. Pay attention. He says, behold, a demon-oppressed man was brought to him, uh, brought to, carried. This man cannot speak. This is the first time we see a demonic presence of silence. Sometimes in Scripture we see a demonic presence that's shouting out, Who are you, Son of God? What do we have to do with you? This one's silent. This manifestation of this demonic presence in this man's life is absolute silence. So he's unable to speak. And so he is brought to Jesus, and we see uh, this, when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. Matthew, notice how little he tells us. He didn't tell us about the conversation. He doesn't say if Jesus said anything. doesn't say if he touched him. He doesn't say if there was any kind of request on behalf of the other people. Nothing. It's just when the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke. That's what's important for Matthew. Why? It is because of a verse I already read to you. Isaiah 35, you remember, the mute tongue spoke. Let me read that one more time. It's talking about Messiah. Here again, Matthew's saying, look at him. Behold, your Messiah. The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, and then the lame will leap like a deer. And what? Read it with me. The tongue of the mute will sing for joy. The mute man will speak. Matthew is pointing out something that has not happened yet. This is the first occasion in which a mute man has spoken, and he is demonstrating again the power and authority of Jesus so that we will rest in him, so that we will be confident in him. And notice the effect. Look at verse 33 and 34. When this happened, when this mute man spoke for the first time, the crowds marveled and said, Never was anything like this seen in all of Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. The crowds marvel and stand in awe of the authority and the power of Jesus. And the Pharisees look at the same instance and say, This is the work of the devil. Isn't that mind blowing? Absolutely mind-boggling to me. Wouldn't anybody think that some poor men who, who couldn't speak or the, the blind men who had never seen, that would be wonderful, something to praise God for, setting people free, and yet there's a sense in which, no, this is the work of Satan. Even though nothing like this has ever been seen in all of Israel, this is the work of Satan. Surely this is the finger of God. Surely this is a, a manifestation of the reality of, of Jesus being the disciple, I mean of the, of the Messiah, and yet what do the Pharisees conclude? He casts out demons by the power of demons. How is it that common folk see more clearly than those who have the scriptures in front of them all the time? It's incredibly sad. And so what, what do we see here? Well, the difference between the two is that Seeing Jesus for who he really is, we understand is a work of mercy. It is a work of God's grace to allow us to see. None of us have the right to see the glory of God in our sinfulness. We don't have a right to stand before him and, and enjoy his beauty because we have been separated from him because of our sin. And yet, a merciful work of the Savior 
to open the eyes. What happened to these two men physically is what happens to every person spiritually who comes to Christ in faith. We're asking for mercy. Is our eyes are opened. It is the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes to see the goodness of God. And I, I prayed for it at the beginning. I, I want to invite you to pray for it at the end. Would you pray? If Jesus, if this is, I don't really care about this. I'd rather go get lunch. Can we move on? Here is the truth of the gospel being shared before us. If that's not glorious in your sight, I would invite you, pray that Jesus would be merciful to you to open your eyes to see the glory of the wonder of who Christ is. Pray, God, do a merciful work in my life. Open my eyes that I can see the glory of Christ. For He is glorious. And if we cry out to Him, what do these men show us? raucous, noisy, croaking, persistently to the Lord our God gets an answer. Pray persistently is the point here. These men followed Jesus persistently. They went after him. They followed him through the crowd. They followed him into the house. They were not going to let anything keep them from Jesus. Don't let anything keep you from Jesus. Don't let your job keep you from Jesus. Don't let money keep you from Jesus. Don't let fame or desire for people's approval keep you from Jesus. Let nothing keep you from Him. Persistently go after Him for what it is that you need, particularly salvation. And another question. Are we following Jesus or do you just follow the crowd? Some of us in our lives, we just, we just go along with the crowd. We don't really care who the crowd's going after. We just want to be with the crowd. But these men, they wanted to be in the presence of Jesus because they went past the crowd. We've, some of us have been a part of the Christian community for a long time. But we need to make up our minds, am I following Jesus? Or am I just going with the group? Is there an individual personal hunger and a surrendering to the, the person of Jesus? Or do I just want to get free snow cones and hot dogs at the fall festival? Come and please get free snow cones and, and everything that we give away. But come for the sake of Jesus. And, and there are some of you who need to make your minds up. You need to decide, am I going to surrender my life to Jesus or am I just going to go along with the flow? It's, today is the day of salvation, is what Paul would say. And, and we can't play games with Jesus. Do you believe Him? Have you surrendered your life to Him? There's nothing sweeter than surrendering your life to Jesus. And my son who got pulled over by the policeman would say that if he was here today. There's nothing sweeter than fully surrendering. Okay, I just gave it away. <laughs> I'm glad I have permission from him. <laughs> I, I think he would say that. He would say, total surrender to Jesus is sweet. God blesses in ways we cannot calculate. He, his kindness is immeasurably more abundantly far above anything you can ask or think. Surrender to him with all of your heart. So let's pray together. And worship team, just stay seated for just a moment. Let's just pray, all of us together. Lord Jesus, we bow before you. And I ask you, in your sovereignty, in your authority, would you pour out your spirit on your people? Would you bless us 
with mercy. You are a merciful Messiah. Would you be merciful to all of us? Lord Jesus, forgiveness of sins is possible only with you. And Father, if there is anybody in this room who yet needs to completely surrender to you, then I ask you, give them the faith to do it this morning. And Lord, if there's, there's somebody who has never said out loud, I believe Jesus died and rose again on the third day. I believe he suffered for my sins. And I believe he can forgive my sins and give me life everlasting. Lord, if there's somebody in this room or hearing my voice that's never out loud said those words, and I pray you'd give them a heart to say it today. Give them the faith to believe. And Lord, I ask you, draw us in. Let us come into the house with you, as it were, and draw near to you. And give us hearts that yearn to please you more than anything else in the world. Because you alone can satisfy the needs of our soul. You alone can work the miracle of opening blind eyes. You alone can pour out your spirit on us in such a way that we enter into a new and living relationship with you. So, Son of David, do that. Lord Jesus, do that. Messiah, work in our hearts and magnify yourself in us as we surrender our lives to you. In Christ Jesus' name, may we marvel at the Lord Jesus. Amen.